end recording with the one and only Dr. Dale Comstock, OGA, Delta Force, Black Ops, Black Belt, Dog Trainer, and you just tell me, got, and in the, in the description is the link to his, uh, his speaking, his performance coaching, as well as his book, American Badass, which he came up. Dale was on here for episode 50. This is episode 1,285, so Dale's one of the OGs. But you were just telling me you got banned from Twitter. I didn't even, I literally didn't know that until I just checked your, I said, hey, Keen, tweet this link, and you said I got banned from Twitter. What? No, no explanation? No reason. I, I didn't even know I got banned because I haven't been on there for a while. Yeah. And, uh. And so I haven't been on it at least a week, and I don't really go on there and say much. I just kind of re, <laughs> repost somebody else's things with yeah, a comment yeah. or something, you know. And uh, pretty careful about not, you know, saying something stupid. But uh, um, for somebody texted me the other day, go, "Hey man, why'd you get banned off Twitter?" I go, "Huh? I didn't get banned." <laughs> I sure enough, no explanation, nothing. They said, "Oh, you've been banned permanently." From Twitter um, for violating community rules, but they wouldn't tell me what they were. Didn't send me an email. Didn't do anything. No, they and I inquired several times. They go, "What did I do wrong?" And uh, they haven't even responded, man. So you know, everybody talks about how great Twitter is because Elon Musk took over, and I agreed. But you know what? He still got a bunch of moles in there too, man. Because yeah. I know I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything wrong. So you know, I'm very. Um, somewhat political right because you know you know my my position on things so i make comments that probably the left doesn't like and i don't care and uh somehow that got me banned but uh i don't know what i said and i'm still waiting for a response but uh luckily i don't use twitter for nothing other than kind of monitoring what's going on in the world and in the community yeah but uh i don't use it for my own promotional stuff or anything like that so you probably got uh, a Guarantee if so if they give you no reason, I mean, because I've been banned from a ton of shit, and they're normally always, if they can hit you with a reason, they'll give it for you. For me, it's always like medical misinformation or claiming right. that the 2020 election was stolen because it was. But I would imagine that what somebody did for you is somebody probably reported you and just made up some horseshit like this guy fucking threatened me or something. Right. Probably some probably some tranny faggot probably reported you and said this guy is making me want to kill myself and yeah yeah. Which no, I don't. You know, I mean, I don't see anything like that. No, I know you don't. I, I mean, they probably just project it. They yeah. go, "Here's somebody comfortable in his own skin." Now I want to kill are myself. You, are you on Twitter? or Did you get banned also? I got back on Twitter. I got, I was banned for a couple months. I think, I think I don't know what. I think I called. I think I was pretty shit faced, and I I just I just retweeted AOC, and I was like, I don't know, I was, like, I was like this dumb commie bimbo bitch or something. And they were like, this is hate speech, this is violence. And I was like, I don't think it is. But I was really fucked up when I got banned. So I didn't know why I was banned for like a while. I was banned for like six months. Stoli's permanently banned. I mean, listen, man, you're not, it's not a, it's not a bad thing to get banned from Twitter. It's still a fucking cesspool. Um, but. Yeah, you're right. You look at, look, all these lefties going, oh, you know, going to get off of Twitter now that Elon Musk, they're still on there. You know, they ain't go nowhere, you know, and they're still spewing their hate, you know, and, and disinformation and misinformation. And, and uh, uh, it just never stops, man. These fucking people. There's only one way to fix this, man, and that's a freaking war. That's what it's going to I've and I've, <laughs> and I've been having you on here for three years, and I'm always like, well, you know, I don't know about. And, like, as time marches on, I'm slowly, grudgingly conceding defeat that you're right. All the Green Berets I interview, they're all right. I don't like it. And legally, I don't condone it. I have to say that. 
but yeah, more and more I'm watching this. I'm like, there's no way this ends without massive bloodshed, and I'll probably be killed because why not? But I've, I'm I'm coming. I'm I'm making peace with that. Like this isn't. It, this, this is going to end when we see what's happening in France, and yeah. that's the only way it's going to end is them. And I think somebody somebody tweeted this morning. Based on what I don't fucking know, but I guess top French generals are giving Macron forty eight hours. They're like, they're like, secure the country or we will. That's how I imagine it will kind of come to a head. And all of my military expertise, right? I imagine that's how it will come to a head in the United States in the next five years or so. Is we're gonna we're gonna go right up to the right up to the edge of destruction, and then either number one go through with full self immolation, two have violent revolution, which I imagine will balkanize into a series of civil wars or three, you're going to have some generals and maybe not even out of a good place. They just might see their name rising and be like, Hey, I can seize control. You know, it might be a power vacuum thing, but you're probably going to have some generals go. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking control of this shit. And you'll probably have most people go. Yeah. I mean, look at France right now. A week ago, if a bunch of generals came out and said, we're taking control. No, Bunch of generals coming out now. You have a bunch of people going, eh, you know, I'm not that opposed to it, which which itself is a dangerous kind of idea because then you start wondering, well, are do they foment this shit to bring in chaos because only in chaos do you accept the hammer of daddy government, right? It's You don't do that on a sunny day. You do it when your country's on fucking fire, and then you wonder, well, what's the end result? This increases government control. Well, who's this benefit? The government. So is who'd started this? Well, there's a good chance it's the government, and um, I don't know. We we can talk about that, or we can talk because you texted me last night. And you just said Singapore ops, and I was like, "What's the topic for the show?" And you just casually said Singapore ops. I was like, "What the fuck was oh, we that?" Can, we can talk about that. I'm uh, gonna talk a little bit about everything, man. Um, so yeah, the France thing. I was kind of catching on to that yesterday, and uh, it's kind of interesting, right? So what's happening in France is what's happened here, right? um in the past with uh i mean when you look at who's rioting okay who got shot um you know who got shot and, and who's who's pissing and moaning right and, and uh and here they are right they're doing the, the same scenario we were in right and uh yeah i, I agree with you i think that uh <clears throat> we're, we're all going down the fast track to hell man i, I think it's be more less than five years um really it'll be before the election for sure okay. um Things are spinning way out of control, and uh, people just need to be ready, prepare themselves. Prepare themselves. This is why I had a couple, some of my coaching clients. I had a couple come here for a couple months training with me, you know, because uh, they're actually training not to be a militia, but to actually to sur- to survive. Man, um, these guys were wealthy, um, and uh, they feel like they're going to be targeted, you know, because of their wealth and and also uh, you know backgrounds and stuff like that so they're like i need i need some skills i need some training just because they also see they see it as an inevitable it's coming you know and uh but you know hopefully we're wrong and everything you know turned around and goes in the right direction but uh i don't see that happening man i think we went way too far down the road to go back and uh but anyways so let's talk about so yeah i mentioned singapore so just kind of give you a little background couple things one bbc was here here in may and uh, they had filmed a documentary about me that's going to come out 
Uh, now it was supposed to come out next month, but they had to push it to the right until I think October, November. Um, had to do with uh, slots, times, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, PBS and other stations is going to come out on. So I don't know the entire all the networks, but I know BBC is going to put it out there. Anyways, they came here and uh, they wanted to do an interview on me, uh, particularly talk about um, you know my experience in Yemen. Um, you know what's it like being a mercenary. You know, and it was more than that actually. When the crew showed up, um, the producers showed up. They also brought an investigative journalist with them, with her. And so I recognized the name right away because she had been trying to hit me up over the, on Twitter uh, or LinkedIn for a couple of years. And um, she's um, of Arabic descent. She's a uh, specialist in the area of Yemen. <laughs> and um, and I had to, I kind of sensed a little bit of uh tension when she showed up because I wasn't expecting her to show up. I mean, oh, hey, by the way, we brought this person here with us <laughs> to interview you. Uh-huh. And I just kind of felt a little, things were a little odd, right? And so I was like, all right, be, be prepared, right? This is going to be, this is going to be probably a little combative. And uh, so we did the interview and, uh, you know, it started out with words like assassin and bombs and stuff like that. And I had to pump the brakes, go, no, 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 no. No, oh, no, we're not talking assassin. We're talking a professional soldier. I don't make bombs. I make explosive charges and devices. Some of them are, are improvised because they're not in the book. Um, but I had to steer that thing back in the right direction. Um, a lot of questions came up that were, it was obvious that her information um, was tainted, skewed, or completely wrong um, about some of the targets, um, some of the methodologies. And uh, she kind of came in, I think, with some preconceived notions about what uh, you know, you know, what mercenaries are. And so, I wanted to correct her and let her know that, that just because you can call me a mercenary if you want, um, but don't call me an assassin. I'm a professional soldier. I do work for money. Obviously, why would I go down range and do probably one of the most dangerous jobs in the world for free? Um, you know. No soldiers out there fighting out of principle alone. He's fighting for a paycheck, right? So, and so am I. If I got to go out there and do this, I'm doing it for the right reasons. And, um, and so, and I expect to get paid for the risks I'm going to take because it's not just about me, it's about, you know, my family and et cetera. So, so there's a lot of that going on. Um, I felt like they walked away with uh, probably a different attitude about who I was. Am and and the team that I was with compared to the um, the Wagner group, you know, in Russia, there was a lot of that comparative stuff going on. I said, there's no comparison. You know, the Wagner group is a bunch of literally convicts that were released to become mercenaries and other thugs with guns, and uh, and that's what they are, you know. And so I said, we, my team, we're professionals. We're married. We have children. Um, you know, we have moral standards, integrity, ethics. You know. Um, and we're here targeting what we believe are, you know, terrorists, bad guys, you know. And so then I <clears throat> spun into, well, you know, how do you know he's a bad guy, you know? And, and I'm like, look, you know, the client, you know, the people we were working for gave us their target list based on their intelligence. These guys were bad guys. We also did our due diligence as best as we could with the resources we had. And I said, we all came to the conclusion, yeah, that's it's a legitimate target. And, uh, but how can you be 100% sure? 
I said, exactly. You can never be 100% sure. Nobody's ever 100% sure. <laughs> and nobody, in the, even in the conventional military, you go off of probabilities, right? And you go off of uh, history and a whole lot of other variables, but you look at the, the totality of the picture and the profile and you say, yeah, you know, in all likelihood, this is the guy, it's the right guy based on all this information we have. And uh, we move forward with the, with the plan. So could we have mistargeted him? No, we had the right target, we had the right location, we had the right individuals, but uh, whether or not he's really the bad guy or not, um, nobody will know 100% for sure, but we have to go with the client who's investigated these people, they've been watching them, they're on their radar. Um, and I tell you, the simple answer for me was this, like, look, you know, this guy, these guys are being financed by the Muslim Brotherhood that's actually there building uh, barracks for Al Qaeda. Right. So Al Qaeda, you have, you know, a cap is what it's called. Al Qaeda, Al Qaeda, Arabic Peninsula, a cap. They're there. They're kind of like the action arm. You have the financiers, the Muslim Brotherhood. You've got this. But in this one case, this one particular guy, he was a political uh, um, face for uh, for uh, the political organization. It was kind of like the, the, the front of for everything. I said, so the fact that he's getting money from the Muslim Brotherhood, you know, well, you know, the United States doesn't consider um, Muslim Brotherhood terrorists. Well, they did initially. <clears throat> and it, and I said, no, I don't care what the United States thinks because I wasn't working for the United States. I was working for this other country that says they are right. And so they're paying they're paying the check and uh, they're giving me the targeting packages and we're now analyzing it and we're executing. Um, based off of what the command, if you will, <laughs> is directing us to do, right? So there's a lot of that going back and forth. But anyways, that's coming out in um, probably October, November. But prior to that coming out, my, my, I'm cranking up my book. Um, I'm going to get that out ahead. The reason I'm going to do that is because, um, one, once the book is out, it's going to come out in a PDF copy first, then an audio book, and then a hard copy. Um, but it'll be out there. It'll be disseminated. She'll, they'll get a copy of it as well. And, uh, and basically what that does is because, you know, with any interview that you do with journalists, look, we watch it happen to Trump all day long. You know, they could easily skew everything, you know, take sound bites. And mm -hmm. before you know it, I look like the bad guy, um, you know, and, and it's people are still going to think I'm a bad guy, but uh, for sure, I'll look like the bad guy. You're going to make sure that. And what I want to do is make sure that uh, they've got the story that I've written um, and they're using the words that I use in the book. Like, for example, I'm not using bombs and I'm not using assassin. Okay. I'm using, you know, different words and I expect the same. She didn't think it mattered. I go, no, it does matter because the average guy out there, you know, that's watching this, um, he's thinking those assassins and bombs, he doesn't distinguish. Well, you know, just because he's an assassin doesn't mean he's a bad guy. Um, he just automatically thinks assassin ninjas, you know, freaking cold blooded killers, you know, and, and bombs, you know, like little, you know, black uh, <laughs> balls with a fuse. Cool, yeah. Right. So, you know, so for clarity and for accuracy, I wanted to make sure we use the right information, the right words. So it paints the right picture. Right. So anyways, that's that. Um, so the book's going to be coming out. I'll let you know when it comes out and uh, you can, you'll be on my Instagram. It'll be on my Facebook page. It'll be all over the place I'm on my website. Um, people will be able to download a copy of it and uh, enjoy it. Uh, so speaking of books, I'm actually writing four other books um, that are coming in behind this one. Um, and so based on my life experiences since really 2012, because in 2012, I, I wrote American Badass. And uh, 
that was going to be, I thought, you know, the book of my life up to that point. And I thought pretty much that was the sunset too, right? Like nothing else cool is going to happen because, you know, you know, it's 2012, I'm retired, I wrote the book, did the TV shows and, you know, like, okay, and I'm just going to fade away. It's not until, um, it wasn't until that point, all of a sudden more things started to happen. I was like, man, you can't make this up. Right. And so I, before you know it, I found myself in different parts of the world doing different things like Yemen, for example. Um, I think we've talked about some of my bodyguard experiences as well in one of the other shows. Um, I don't believe we talked about this particular, um, this particular incident or time in my life where I was involved in something also kind of, kind of cool. So I thought, you know, what I'm going to do is write a, uh, it's going to be a series. If you want to count American Badass, it'll actually be a series of six books, but, uh, and I'm calling it the Badass series because you'll have the Yemen story coming up next, which um, I'll have that out soon. And then we're going to have a story that I'm going to talk about now. Um, some bodyguard experiences, um, some other experiences with uh, uh, basically, if you will, I got to be careful, I'll use the wrong word, but um, moving or helping people uh, back to freedom. Okay. And uh, remember my lawyer said, you know what that's called, right? I go, where it goes, human trafficking. I go, no, 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 no. <laughs> It's not the kind of movement I'm talking about. But anyways, and then uh, the last book will be, uh, you know, my operator's manual on uh, on how I do business in the world and in my life and stuff like that. So um, it'll be a total of five more books coming out and I want to get them all out before December. That's the plan anyway. So, yeah. uh, so today I was going to share with you, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the general highlights of this, the Singapore operation. Um, and so couple years ago a few years back actually i was invited to come to uh singapore and uh there was a very wealthy uh client there that uh, was interested in having me come there and train his canine for me right so how cool is that so he's literally paying me to fly to his location in singapore to train a dog you know he had a german shepherd he's very proud of it you know very nice dog and very nice family uh, he's very wealthy very nice guy and uh I'm not going to go into names or anything like that to embarrass, you know, shame, shame him or his family or anything like that. But uh, what ended up happening was I was going back and forth for a while, training dogs, um, training his dog, you know, hanging out. And then one day towards the end of the, when I was complete with the dog, we were walking and he's like, uh, you still doing that security stuff? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I got a, something maybe you can help me with. And I was like, okay. And uh, what he told me was um, he was on Instagram and anyways on instagram he ended up meeting some what he thought was a woman right very attractive woman blah 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 now he's married he's got kids and uh that turned into some flirting you know blah 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 back and forth you know and he admitted he goes yeah dude i'm just a dude you know i was just flirting with her but well that so what he didn't know was this person on the other end was not a woman it was actually a syndicate okay and uh they were iranians um with tied to uh turkey and so um what they did they figured out what his wife's instagram was they contacted her and go hey uh, we got some information um that your husband's having an affair with this woman here's some pictures here's some text messages right and uh they made sure they populated the messages in the end with new pictures um and uh sorry about the noise um and so 
you know, they made it look pretty juicy was what they did. And they showed her some, some of the pictures go, we have the entire pack. We have a lot more information. If you want it, um, you're going to have to pay for it. And uh, you'll have to fly one of us over there and uh, we'll hand deliver it all to you. And this is what we want in return. So, of course, she bought all into that, bought the tickets and everything. And um, guy shows up and he's <laughs> so he goes to the baggage claim area, grabs his knife out of his suitcase and uh, he's had his pocket, walks up to her. She's waiting for him out in the reception area in the airport. And he basically puts a knife in her side and uh, walks her to the ATM machine, tells her to start cleaning it out, get as much out as she can. She's wearing this bazillion dollar diamond watch, yeah. pretty high speed. And I'm looking at the holy shit, studded in diamonds. He helps himself to that. And then he also um, takes her cell phone from her and, uh, and he leaves. And so she thinks, okay, well, that was scary. He's gone, but he actually wasn't gone. He never left, right? He, st he stayed at a local hotel and went through her cell phone because she didn't put a passcode on it, right? Uh, big mistake there. So he goes through her phone and realizes she's got another phone, and he's got all her kids' phone numbers, husband's phone number, client phone numbers, you know, business phone numbers, her whole world and everybody, her entire network's on the phone. And so this guy's exploiting that. And then he shoots her, shoots, her, shoots her another message that night. said, I need you to meet me at this corner tomorrow morning at this time. Don't bring nobody with you. Um, things are going to go bad if you do. Blah, blah, blah. She meets him again. What the fuck? Fair enough. He robs her again. All right. Dumb bitch. <laughs> this, time, this time it's in front of the ATM machine and a CCTV cameras capture it all. And, but this time he actually leaves and gets on the airplane. He's gone. So now she's compelled to, you know, report it. So she goes to the police. Um, they're like, well, you know, we'll arrest the guy if he comes back, but we cannot have him extradited and bring him back, right? It's just, it's not, they're not going to do it. So she also had to tell her husband what happened, but it got worse because the reason it got worse is now this guy was back either in, our, in Iran, Russia, or Turkey. We, and I, I know where he was traveling, and I'll tell you why I know. Um, so he was messaging the kids, and he was you know, holding the weapons up, you know, and I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your family, this, that. He was threatening the kids. Now, the kids were young, you know, about, uh, I think, 10 and 13, right? And uh, so, like, who is this guy threatening me? Call me by my name and that, you know? And so this was scaring, scaring the father, right? He's like, Jesus, man. And so he, when he's telling me a story, I said, you know what they're doing, right? I said, they're setting you up for the next hit. I said, that guy won't come back, but a surrogate will come back. And this time, you know, it's going to be, they're going to, they're going to escalate, escalate it a little bit more. Um, they might actually target one of your kids. Um, they might do something to scare the hell out of them in real life, you know, let you know that they're here. Um, and so he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Right. So, um, so what ended up happening was he's like, well, can you take care of this problem for me? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, um, yeah, can cost money right i mean you know and uh and so that's when everything started was with that part and um so i ended up uh through some of my my network ended up getting a hold of a detective um in germany um guy was prior military but pretty good a lot better than i ever thought he would be so i you know i told him what the plan was what we're up against and uh you know and here's the issue. So anyways, we started um, by phases. So I said, okay, phase one, we'll collect information, intelligence. We'll find out, you know, we'll find them, you know, and fix them. 
we'll, we'll find out where he lives and we'll get more details on him. And uh, we'll start with that. We'll come up with some pretty detailed information and we'll present it to the client, show him that we know what we're doing, right? And so we had we had really good proof. Um, in fact, we had proof, we had guy, the guy driving down the road and we had pictures of his license plates of him in the car from an actual um, CCTV camera on the streets. Not nice. Right, tied into it. So like I said, this detective was pretty good at it, right? Uh, we knew exactly where the guy lived, his address, everything else, and everything else that we needed to know. Um, one thing we're pretty confident it was he was part of a syndicate. So, you know, this is what these guys do. They get on the Instagram and Facebook pages, pretend to be chicks. You know, they come on to dudes, dudes, you know, compromise themselves, you know, especially married guys, you know, and before you know it, they're in this, this maelstrom of, you know, oh, hell, you know, what am I going to do now? They're threatening me, my family, they're going to expose me. And uh, so they got you right kind of by the balls. And, and so, this is not, this is, you know, word of the wise out there. You dudes are out there, you know, and chicks that are, you know, sending pics of your junk, you know, and doing stupid stuff like that. Let, let you know it could come back to haunt you big time like it did this guy. Um, so anyways, we, um, so we, we, we started phase one. We go, okay, you know, here's the intel. Here's the proof. We can do the job. I said, now there's then subsequent phases. I said, you don't get to know about those. Um, and the reason why is plausible deniability. And, you know, if we don't want you to know what we did because if somehow it comes back to you, you know, basically everything's going to be compartmented. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to pay me. I'm going to make this problem go away. I'm not yeah. going to tell you how it's going to go away or how I'm going to deal with that. It's none of your business. Um, you want the problem resolved. That's it. It's going to cost you money. So here's the proof of this. And then we go to phase two. So, um, so he's like, okay, you know, he had to, when I say he was very wealthy, he was very wealthy and very connected. His business was huge. It was massive, uh, international. And, uh, last thing he needed was this kind of exposure yeah. because, you know, when you're operating at that level and you're married and you got kids, you know, perceptions mean a lot, especially in business. You know, why do I want to do business with this guy? You know, he's a, you know, he's a cheat, you know, or perceived cheat, not saying he's cheating, but he's a perceived cheat, you know, and all this weirdness is going on. He's compromised and, you know, and now do we, maybe we have to deal with these other people. Maybe they come after us, you know, who knows. Right. So anyways, this was a problem for him and, and his business, but more particularly, he was afraid for his kids' lives. Right. Which we should be. And, uh, and I told him, I said, man, these guys got time. That's all they got is time. I said, they don't have to do nothing tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. You know, they've already got you on the radar, man. And, uh, all they do is just every now and then send a little threat, you know, to your kids and to you. You know, to remind you that they're there and they're coming. You just don't know when it's going to be or where it's going to be. You know, you might be going on another trip uh, somewhere and your kids and family are left behind and they're totally exposed, you know. And uh, maybe they make an example out of one, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and how much how much money do you have? Or are you willing to put into this thing to protect them? They know you have a lot of money. They know you do and they're going to keep coming for it. And so I said, you can keep paying them lots of money, you know, until you're broke. And or you can pay, you know, a little bit of money and make this problem go away, you know. And so, um, so, you know, the plan in agreement with all that, you know, the plan board. So um, 
there's a lot of issues that have to you have to consider, right? Like for example, going to foreign country, you can't fly into a foreign country with guns and stuff in your suitcase <laughs> or anything like that, right? And so you know you gotta you basically show up on a yeah. tourist passport, right? Hey, I'm just coming here to visit, you know, whether you're going to Iran or Turkey or Russia, wherever the hell you're going, because he traveled all over the place. Um, you know, we we found out that uh, watch tracking him. He's in Russia doing a lot of stuff there, business. Um, he's in Iran, he's in Turkey, you know, just moving around quite a bit, but we knew, we knew where he was based out of primarily. And, uh, we had a pretty good idea where we could intercept the guy, you know, and, uh, and always being cognizant of the fact that he might be with a, with a group, with a syndicate, you know, and uh, he might have some other top cover and others, um, um, security procedures in place, but. And the guy even got on, he actually got on Instagram, right? And he was actually wearing, no, 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 no. We had a picture of him. We had actually have a picture of him on the street wearing his this guy's wife's watch, oh, right? Fuck. Yeah, loaded with diamonds. Like, man, the guy's just wearing the watch out in the open, you know? And uh, so I uh, probably hadn't been able to, you know, boost it yet or something. But um, I don't know if, honestly, I don't know how much the watch costs, but I would have to judge by the, the brand and uh, the number of diamonds on it. It was probably a million dollar watch easily. Fuck. You know, easily, you know? And uh and so yeah, these guys, I mean, they live large, you know. And um so that, you know, morphed into okay, now we've you know, we 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 found them, we're gonna fix them, and now we're gonna you know in the military find them, fix them, finish no find them, fix them, fight them, finish them, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Those are uh you kind of your four tenants, right? So you know we we found them, we fixed them, and now we've got to go deal with them, right? And uh, and get this problem over with. Um, so that turned into um, you know the planes, trains, and automobiles type scenarios. You know, traveling alone, not together. Um, you know, using clandestine communications to uh, communicate. So you know all these things you have to think about is you know can't be communicating on a phone. Um, you know, you have to be careful even with your applications um, because maybe nobody's monitoring the application that you're using, um, or maybe they are, but the problem is down the road, if something happens, you get rolled up. Now mm -hmm. they can go into, you know, all the apps and, and, and start tracking messages and putting it all together. So really you gotta make sure you're not leaving any, any trace or tracks behind. Um, and by the way, they can, uh, they can watch uh, monitor your WhatsApp. Okay. In fact, uh, I know in Indonesia, um, you'll notice that sometimes on your WhatsApp, you get this, this flashing bink, bink. That's because they're interrogating your WhatsApp and some of your, your social media applications. I don't know if they can do that to signal, but I would argue that they probably can. Yeah. Nothing's actually hundred percent secure and uh, they're not going to share everything what they can do because that's the secret weapon. Right. But you have to just assume all your communications are being monitored. I always assume that. I always assume a hundred percent of everything I use is being monitored. Yeah, so that means you got to be able to, um, you got to be able to communicate in code, mm -hmm. words, brevity, um, and you actually have to start implementing tradecraft skills, right? Um, in other words, you know, at a certain time, certain place, you're gonna, you know there's going to be a dead drop at this location, certain window, recover that, and that'll give you instructions for your next movement. And so what that does is it takes us off of uh, electronic comms once we get this process started. Now we're on basically, um, you know, um, 
uh, written comms, if you will, right? Messages and things like that. And even those things are encoded. Um, there's ways to make them more cryptic. And uh, there's other ways with your computers that you can actually um, do um, cryptic passes of information as well that are uh, not easy to, uh, to follow. Um, there's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there, the dark web and, uh, and, and ways to do this thing. So, you know, basically th that's the next phase is before we even go to the country uh, where the target's located, we already have to figure out our comms plan before we ever go into the country. We don't want to go in the country and get on comms, go, hey, I'm here, you know, okay, I'm here too, you know. Um, no, it's like we already know we're going we're gonna to arrive at a certain time on a certain day, certain window at a certain location. That's where we're going to do a first brief encounter or uh, recover a dead drop or whatever we have to do, however we're going to communicate, which is going to start the, the, the process. And what would we have to communicate? Well, honestly, um, you know, if you're working in a two-man team, ideally you guys don't want to be together if you can help it. You don't want to be in the same hotel room. You don't want to be in the same location together. Um, you want to basically be separate. So if you are under surveillance, um, nobody ties the two of you together, okay? It's like, I never see these two guys together and hopefully they never pick up on your tradecraft, you know, um, techniques. You go, yeah, they're exchanging information or hey, I just saw that guy put it in place a dead drop and they're going to recover it, read it, and then put it back or something like that, right? So that also requires surveillance. So we know at a certain time on a place at dead drop, the, the recipient is already going to be pulling surveillance on the on the uh, the dead drop location just mm. to make sure to compromise, right? So you see there's a lot of yeah. work to go see, right? And uh, a lot of spook stuff, but uh, um, this is how you have to operate if you want to stay out of jail and stay, stay out of the grave. And so... A lot of that was implemented, um, and it'll all be, uh, you know, I'll be talking about it in the book. Um, I'll, I'll be very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm going to be kind of, uh, what I'm going to do is mine operational security in that I'm going to get specific locations and things like that and, and names and times, but the gist of it will be in there. You'll understand what, what's happened and when and where it was happening, um, in a roundabout way. So, um, uh, Anyways, um, so there's, it's pretty elaborate, right? So you go there and then, you know, you still got to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to manage this situation so that this guy never harasses this other guy again and his family, right? Um, you know, because there's really not a lot of evidence that it was him because he's using a drop phone, right? Just throwaway phones and phone numbers, right? So it's hard to trace it back to just to one individual. These guys are pretty crafty. Um, there's a lot of ways to do this stuff, right? So he's also using clandestine communications. And uh, I thought it was pretty bold that he actually grabbed the knife out of his suitcase and did it in the airport under all the CCTV. Yeah, that's wild. He did. Uh, <laughs> pretty brazen, right? And so I figured he might need to get a little taste of his own medicine. Um, and so that would be a nice wake-up call for, for the, the organization he was working for. It's like, you can reach people, but so can we. Yeah. You can reach too, you know? And, uh, and so... Yeah, they'll have to they'll have to harden up their security procedures as well, right? But uh, um, anyways, I'm not gonna go into what actually happened to the guy. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let, just to kind of sum it all up, you know, you know, we traced him um, finally, um, you know, dealt with the situation, and then uh, you know, and how does the client know that well the problem was solved before he sends a lot of money? It's like, well, you know what? Um, 
you can wait a while. See yeah. if he contacts you, right? If nothing's happening, then it means it went away. And so then you can Ooh. just go ahead and pay us, you know, Ooh. and uh, you pay us anyways. In fact, he has to pay us anyways because there's a, you know, we need an op fund up front. Just, okay, yeah. Right. And, uh, and there's going to be money involved in that. So, you know, um, he's going to pay a percentage up front depending on what we think is the anticipated uh, gross. Most likely he'll pay us 30% plus, um, you know, any uh, uh, past due costs and travel, et cetera, et cetera. And then the balance is due when he's satisfied that the problem has gone away. And then the question is, well, what if he doesn't pay you? He just says, screw you. Well, you got to remember who just did the work for him and yeah. what the, this worker is capable of doing. Yeah, right? I was about to say, what does the work entail? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, so do you want to you you really fuck with them? Yeah. You know, do you really want to go there? Right. Because, um, and not that I would do that, but, uh, you know, that's kind of the leverage you have. If, they, if they're inclined to believe that maybe it's not me, but maybe my cohorts are with me are probably not so understanding. Um, now you just basically just created the same problem again. You, you know? But who, yeah, but an even better versed who, who now knows your backstory too. Like, you now know their intricacies. Yeah, no, right. it's, it's yeah. far more retarded to turn on you. But, you know, I, I thought it was, um, there's a lot. There's gonna be a lot to the story. Dude, um, fuck yeah, that'd be a great. A lot, book. Of, a lot of tradecraft stuff, you know, and and uh, close encounters of the worst kind, and you know, there, you know, there's, there, you're always taking. There's always risk. Just there's sometimes, you know, you could just be doing everything properly, acting normal, and it's like, what, sir, could you please come over here? Like, what, what? And before you know it, you get pulled over for something totally unrelated. Yeah. They can easily spin out of control into, you know, into a compromise, you know. Um, like I ain't gonna lie I, when I came home recently from uh, I was flying back from Manila I thought about I was like man for the first time I'm actually flying west instead of east you know and I had to go through Bangkok and then end up in London and in London you know flying over to Houston um, and I thought about it and um, so going back to going back to the BBC documentary um, they called me a couple weeks later and go hey we got this great idea wouldn't it be cool if we could get one of the guys you targeted that survived and you guys sit across the table and talk about it, you know, and we could do this in news interviews and kind of play everything up. And I thought, wait a minute. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I thought about it. It's like, you know, because this is a hit. Uh, I said, not, well, okay. So not only that, you know, this guy, as far as I'm concerned, still is a terrorist. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's just happened to, he, he's just happened to make it away. Yeah. Um, so I said, moreover, I said, now this guy knows that maybe I'm the guy to try to take him out. Yeah. What, what's going to keep him from setting me up at the airport, right? Yeah. And uh, going to or from. Yeah, or, fuck that. Or going, hey, I want to file murder charge, uh, attempted murder charges. Yeah. Even though I wasn't working as a, I was working the capacity of a soldier, right? And so maybe nothing would come of that, but it could definitely ruin my day for a couple of years, right? So, and uh, well, why tell, and so, I thought, no, that's not a good idea. I said, I'm not setting myself up for failure like that. You know, I said, no, it's not going to look good. You look at me and here I am sitting across the table from this, this dude that's very geeky looking. Um, you know, he's going to be wearing a suit. I win the Nobel prize for being a peaceful guy. And they're going to look at me going, look at this guy trying to yeah. take me out. Like, no wrong answer. You're the bad guy. I'm the good guy, you know, and uh, maybe we're wearing the wrong costumes, but, you know, but see, perception is all, is everything, right? People are not going to see it that way. Yeah. And uh, they always think the bad guys look like me and the good guys are the innocent guys, right? And actually, it's the innocent guys, you know, the, 
even the beta males that you got to look out for, they're the most dangerous people on the planet, you know? Well, and, uh, you know, weak men, weak men are bad men. Yeah. And so, um, I said, no, I'm not going to set myself up for that. I said, in fact, uh, you know, just tell old boy that uh, congratulations. He's one of the few guys that actually escaped, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and he, he can, he can feel good about that. So yeah. he ain't worried about me. You know, I don't, I'm out of this business anyways. And, um, well, but, yeah. uh, so I, so as I'm going through London, as soon as I went through immigration, um, the, uh, the, the officer at the immigration says, okay, everybody else is passing through. And she looks at me and TDD buzzers are going off. And she's like, okay, you need to go to the, down here to the end of the hallway, make a right. And there's a, uh, someone sitting in a desk area. You need to report to them. And so I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, oh, okay. What's <laughs> going And I show up and, um, excuse me, I'm supposed to report to you. And uh, let me see your passport stuff. I'm like, here it is. And uh, oh, okay, we're just going to reissue your tickets. That's all. I'm like, oh, that's all? Oh, okay, good. Right. So I take my ticket. Like, and then a little while later, I show up at the gate. It's time to board and um, swiping our, our tickets. Everybody's going through a nice, easy flow. I go through all of a sudden, all the alarms and sirens uh -huh. go, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and everybody's running over to to you know see what the hell's going on i'm like oh jesus christ jiminy you know and i was trying to joke about it like what did i do run the stop sign you know yeah. and, uh, they're like looking at my ticket and I'm like yeah hold on for a second and uh, they look at me finally go, okay yeah you're good go ahead go on oh, <laughs> what the fuck? So, you know i'm thinking at any moment now i'm gonna get rolled up yeah. you know and uh nothing's happening right so um but uh yeah so i've always been a little paranoid you know, you could argue, well, why are you paranoid? You did nothing wrong. You're right. I didn't do nothing wrong. Look at how many people in the world don't do anything wrong and still end up jacked up and in, in jail and, yes. and lose their life, right? So, you know, uh, I, I love it when the when the lefties always say, well, if you didn't do anything wrong, what do you want? You know, shut up. All right. So that's all I can say. Just shut up. All right. Yeah. You, you're living in a utopia. I'm living in the real world. And uh, and so, you know, I'm smart enough to know that you don't take nothing. You don't take nothing for granted. And uh, security is number one, you know, and yeah, you, you kind of live with a certain amount of paranoia, you know, I'll call it vigilance, you know, just because that's what's going to keep you out of a jam. And uh, you got to have things like cover stories and cover for action. Why are you here? What are you doing? You know, oh, well, you know, you have a good line. Right. And so. It's all part of the, uh, it's all part of the, the act, man, you know, cause that's what you're doing is acting, you know? And, uh, and so my life is kind of, you know, it kind of, it kind of goes to into the shadows and it comes back into the daylight and sometimes I'm back in the shadows and sometimes I'm back in the daylight, you know? And it just seems like sometimes I just get pulled into the shadows all the time and doing really weird shit. Like, how did I end up in this mess? Yeah. You know? And all of a sudden I'm like, you know, you can't even make this stuff up. You know, I mean, I got stories that are going to, you know, I mean, literally, they're going to make some hellacious books and probably some great movies. Oh, yeah. When I go into the details and I'm not making it up, this is stuff that's actually happening to me, you know. And uh, I look back at my life and go, I just thought it was going to be over 2012 when I wrote American Badass and that was it, you know, and it's just now I'm going to another phase of my life, you know. And uh, even the stuff that we were talking about me doing before, you know, I thought, okay, this is, a, this is like another turn I wasn't ready for. And, uh, you know, of course, we, we talked about the road that I have to take at this point. But, um, you know, it's uh, life's an adventure, man. And uh, I'll say that, man, my life has been exciting. And it's been full of everything from horror and, you know, intrigue and 
you know, espionage and fun and just, you know, living the whole 007 Jason Bourne life is like, and I'm not looking for that. I don't want to do that. Honestly, I don't want none of that anymore. It's like, I'm just happy being, living in Bali. Yeah. Running my business, being there, you know, with my family and just enjoying the, <laughs> you that, know. That's what I always tell people when they ask about you. I'm like, dude, Dale's like, Dale, Dale did it. He's like, he's in Delta. He's in OGA. Like, he, he fucking ran the gamut. I was like, he's got a beautiful wife. He's got a, a canine training business and he lives in paradise. Like, Dale doesn't seek the shit out. And they're, yeah, like, why, they're like, why is he still training? I'm like, that's that's Dale. Dale will train until he's dead. Like, what do you mean? Well, you know, I actually had a, I was talking to uh, somebody about that this morning about, you know, a lot of guys that I know in the military, you know, that were in the military with me, the units with me, you know, I see him today and it's like, dude, what happened to you, man? You're a freaking train wreck. You know, you let yourself go. Yeah. You know, you, in, if if I was a stranger and you said I was in Delta Force, I was a Green Beret, I'd call you a liar. Like, what? Yeah. You know, in my mind, you know, um, the essence of who I was, I am, is what got me to Delta Force. And and Delta Force didn't create me. No, created, yeah, it's... it's They didn't create me, right? And so all they did is they, they polished me, they, right? They, and, yeah. Right? And so, but, but... Now that I know my heritage, you know, where I've come from, I've always been proud of that. And um, and I've always tried to live by that. So I tried to, even at the age of 60 years old, um, try to exemplify that when people go, what did you do? You were in Delta? Yep. Man, you still look like you could be in Delta. And some people actually still think I'm in the military. I'm not, you know, but um, but that's a good feeling when people look at you, you go, man, you still you look pretty formidable. And I'm like, yeah, I am pretty formidable because as of, you know, five years ago, I was still downrange slinging lead and getting it and getting it with the bad guys, you know, and uh, and I can physically and mentally and psychologically. Um, but I've reached a point where, you know, uh, other things are priority, you know, are my priority and I like my business, my wife and family and, and just kind of like really just kind of like living uh, uh, a healthy life with <laughs> minimizing the risk of death. Um but I still live by, you know, the same principles and mindset that I always have. I still condition myself. I train every day. You know, I go to the gym. My mindset is still the same. Um, sometimes I still go out and practice tactical skills and shooting and hone those. Um, I'm always prepared to go to war. Always. You know, um, I'm not a couch potato. I'm always prepared to go lead. Um, and my, my physicality and my uh, mentality, um, all of that will allow for that still at this age. And, um, and so that's kind of what I do as well as, is, you know, coaching and mentoring for that purpose. Um, I have a lot of clients that come to me and, and they're like, dude, how did you do so much? And, and how do you still do this? And, and oh, by the way, uh, <laughs> I forgot to mention. So um, my plan is at the end of summer, roughly August, September, I plan on doing another four round professional boxing match at the age of 60. Um, that's on my bucket list. Um, however, the last couple of days, I've woke up with a really bad neck. I've gone to the chiropractor, and and uh, I'm hoping there's nothing actually wrong with my cervical, my cervix, um, my cervical vertebrae. But mm -hmm. uh, um, hopefully, it's just pinched nerves or something like that. But my goal is, I and mean, I've been training for it, is step back in the ring to a four round match, uh, probably in the light heavyweight division, and uh, and then the other thing I'm going to do in October, I'm going to get on stage in, in the uh, master division and do another competitive bodybuilding show. Fuck yeah. So, 
two things on my bucket list this year for the age of 60. And uh, not that I have anything to prove to anybody out there. I'm just proving to myself that, uh, you know, I'm, I can just keep going and going. Everything, I, my philosophy in life, my training, um, everything is going to prove that at the age of 60, I'm still a force to be reckoned with. You yeah. Know, levels. And uh, my rule on the boxing, by the way, is pretty simple. It's like this. Um, if you're 55 years and older, you can be whatever weight you want to be. Okay. Mm. If you're 54 and below, you've got to be within 10 pounds of my weight. So I'll fight a 222 year old kid. Um, as long as he's within 10 pounds of me, you know, I'll go out there with him and I'll hand him his ass. Yeah. Um, and so bigger guys, you know, I'm actually giving them a handicap. Hey, be whatever weight you want to be. In fact, you can be a big, huge, fat slob, 300 pounds and sit on me, or you can, you know, be this little lean machine too. Um, it'll be for a good fight. It'll be four rounds. It's going to be stand up boxing. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that's, that's on my bucket list, man. So like I said, hoping that my, my neck injury or whatever the hell I got going on is not something that's going to keep me out of it. I will definitely uh, be fighting it probably in Bali is where I'm going to do it. Um, the reason why is it's not as regulated as it is here in the States. I yeah. was a professional and, um, you know, so there's, you know, as a professional, I can't fight an amateur, not, not in the United States. Not that I want to fight an amateur. I want to fight a pro. But they might have to deviate from the rules a little bit. They might have to put me in, I don't know, you know, headgear. I don't know, you know, some kind of handicap for the other guy. I don't know. Uh, we'll figure that out when the time comes. But uh, it's going to be easier for me to train over there. I've got some, actually some of my employees are boxers too, young guys. But one of them be boxers. They're pretty good. One of them is. Uh, they're going to be my sparring, my sparring partners and uh, work in my corner, maybe. I probably don't need him because I, I plan on getting that fight over in about first 30 seconds. Fuck yeah. <laughs> What I said, what I said earlier, when I, uh, I I have to catch myself when I said, you know, they will stop training when he dies. It's kind of symbiotic. It's like, you know, the halting of training kind of is death. And you and I have talked about this before. To stop moving, man. To stop pursuing a goal and perfecting it and polishing it and refining it. To me, feels like it feels like death. I mean, I always talk about man. The two years after I got into medical school and before I, you know, moved home with my parents, I did nothing. Those are the most miserable years of my life. There's, yeah. there's such, there's such validation and like the spark of life exists in challenge and challenging. I have nothing to prove to anyone. I don't give a shit. Like I, there's nothing, there's nothing like just waking up and getting after it. It really does. It breathes sunlight like into the soil of life, like to just sit around. Yeah. That's death, man. Like that's miserable. You're just sitting there languishing until you freaking die or you languish, get remotivated. But by that time, how much damage have you yeah. done or how much, how many opportunities have you missed? Yeah. By, you know? So actually one of the things I was telling my coaching clients this morning, man, you know, um, every minute of your life should be, um, exploited for all you can get out of it. First of all, you, you can't look back. The past is the past. You can't unfuck that. It's done. Yeah. So stop yeah. looking back. Stop worrying about the back. Stop bringing the past into the future. Stop bringing it to the present. You got, you know, you got drama with an ex-girlfriend, ex-wife, whatever. Leave it behind. Move on, man. Don't bring that into the present right now. And uh, for sure, don't carry it to the future with you. Um, you take the present for what it is because that's all you got. You don't, the future's not guaranteed. You don't know what it looks like. You can't wait until the future to go, okay, I'm going to be happy in the future. You got to be happy now, right? So now is all that matters. 
Um, the future you can kind of plan for it. You should plan for it, but uh, you know, be prepared to uh, deviate from the from the course. Right? There's lots of things that are going to get in the way. Um, but um, yeah, you know, I, you know, if I, I, I told this guy this morning, I said, man, if you're on the computer or you're on your TV playing, you know, or uh, you know, I don't even know all the the video games anymore, right? Freaking Call of Duty. I don't even know if that's the latest. Break. All this shit, you're wasting time. You're wasting time. What are you getting out of that? Right? What's the ROI on that? Nothing. Grat, you know, gratific, self gratification. And if you're a, if you're a, if you're a family man, you're definitely wrong because you should be putting your family's needs and uh, needs up front and prioritizing it. So if you're not doing the best you can to be the best person you can be every day then you're, you're really neglecting your family. That's what you're doing, okay? It's not just neglecting yourself, you're neglecting your family. So every day should be filled with um, you trying to be the best version of yourself. And uh, whether it's personal development, professional development, um, even social development with your family, um, you know, lifting them up and helping to grow them and develop them, it should be all those things together. And, uh, but, but as the leader, if you will, of the family, Okay, and this is yeah. Again, that that concept is kind of like starting to fade away in our country, you know, because everybody thinks that we're all equal, women are equal, and when they're not. But uh, at least for me in Asia, you know, we still uh, women still abide by gender roles, and it works, right? Because it doesn't make a woman subservient to you. What it does is make a woman uh, complement the marriage, the relationship, right? We have our roles. And so it's complimentary, not adversarial. Here in the United States, marriages are adversarial. You know, I can make as much money as you do. I make as much money as you. I work all day too. I do this all day, you know. And so you should wash the dishes today. So they want this, they want this, uh, you know, equity, equality thing, you know. And uh, and you wonder why we have the one of the largest divorce rates in the world. And then they and ask yourself, man, why? Eighty percent of divorces are initiated by women. Ninety percent by college-educated women. So, and then ninety-four percent of the time, women are awarded everything. So, what incentive is there for a man to get married in this country? There is zero incentive. Okay. Um, oh, but she would never do that to me. I would never do that to him. That's all bullshit. Well, wait, till, wait till the lawyers get a hold and her friends get a hold of her. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, better than to you and then some. You know, they'll yeah. catch up. In a, in a, you know, out in the square, out there in the public square. Um, so, you know, this is the mess that's happened in our country with feminism um, and with uh, the politics of today and everything that's happening today, um, which makes sense because at the end of the day, if you want to uh, invoke, you know, Marxism and communism, the first thing you have to do is what? Destroy, destroy the, family. the family. Right, that's where we're at. Destroy the family, destroy religion. You know, start taking all those things away that uh, are really the glue to you know a civil society we start taking all that away we start telling people there's you know you can be anything you want you, you can identify as a toaster and, and we have to expect that or you're gonna get you're gonna you're gonna get a ten thousand uh, dollar fine in michigan and you know and be charged with a felony are you kidding me you know this is where we are because this is an agenda and uh, you know and i would again no offense to the ladies out there that might be listening but you know I think you would agree that what I'm saying is true. I mean, let's face it. If 80 to 90% of women uh, initiate divorce and 94% of the time women get everything, uh, do you what really think? Do I want? Yeah. Why would a man want to marry any American None. woman? Right? And so, um, you know, so they've, you know, and so the whole thing with feminism and equality and equity, which is all bullshit. It's all a lie anyways. Mom, you know, even when it comes down to pay gaps and stuff like that, it's all a bunch of crap. But, um, 
anyways, here we are, you know, so I'm talking about Singapore and now I'm talking about, you know, freaking <laughs> divorce and, and custody and stuff like that. But, uh, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, don't sit around on your ass. Don't waste your time. Make yourself a better person. Be sovereign. Uh, be prepared for hard times. Hard times are coming. Um, I believe within the next two years, we're going to go through some really hard times. And uh, those, you know, the old survival of the fittest is going to come to play here. Who's prepared, right? And who's got the right mindset? There's a study out um, that I forget what his name was, but uh, he did a study and he concluded that 80% of the population does not have the um, mental capacity, if you will, to stand up against what is obviously wrong and hurtful to them and their families, but they'll go along with the program anyways. 80% of people will not challenge authority, even though they know the authority is wrong, they'll go along with the program. That's some pretty scary numbers. If eight out of 10 people are willing to go, you know, like a Pied Piper and, and march right along, you know, this is why the Germans, you know, and the Jews, man, they just went along with the program, you know, like, yeah, you know, the Jews, oh, yeah, the, you know, and then the other side of it is they said, hey, well, it doesn't concern me. It's none of my business. And they let it go and they let it go until it did concern them. And it was like, well, where's my help at? Yeah. Well, we're, we're, you know, this is where we're at. We're, we're, we're on the precipice of that. And um, so anyways, I rambled, but uh, no, so it's great, dude. Um, yeah, buckle up, hold on your hat, put down your cigar because, uh, the ride is getting ready to go fast. Get, get right, <laughs> get right with God. Um, but yeah, man, it's uh, Dale as always. I appreciate it, dude. And yeah, I mean, I think the last episode we did with the the, the bodyguard, I think that was probably the most viewed episode I'd done with you. And I imagine this one will get up there. People really like these stories, man. So I can only imagine that bodes well for the uh, the new book. So that'll yeah. be fucking dope. But um, guys, go yeah. check out Dale in the description. Please go follow him on Instagram. Well, you can't follow him on Twitter. Go to his website. Go grab his book. Support Dale. Don't be a fucking communist. And, um, dude, till next time, Dale. Thank you so much, man. Much love, brother. Thank you so much. Guys, thank you for watching. Happy July 4th. Peace.